I've kind of uh, tied into a fairly broad subject here uh, regarding the kingdom of God, and, and it is abroad, and I could probably spend several hours here just talking about one aspect of it, but it won't be that today, so... Uh, on, and, but yes, uh, there could be a year's worth of sermons on the kingdom of God and, and all of its part in our lives. Um, but I, uh, but I've, uh, chosen it and I, and it's been a, a rich blessing to be able to, to, uh, learn from this segment and, uh, and bring what I, that share uh, what I've what I've learned and share that with you guys. So um, let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Most gracious heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all together here to hear your word and be built up more and more into the image of Christ. Please direct my effort this morning to share your words into the heart and minds of these people, your church. I pray that you give them ears to hear and hearts to receive this exhortation to your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom. In in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you will. Please stand for the reading of the word. This comes from Mark 10, 13 through 15. I left out 16 and Michael kind of helped me think, what do I want to put in 16? Well, it it is, of course, all scripture is good, but there's a point when you kind of look at it and if you have a certain point you want to go towards and, and then maybe I just limit right there. So anyway, reading from Mark 10. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. Enter it. You may be seated. Thank you. I guess this time, you know, it's all that Martin Luther has been on my mind and and uh, what he had to endure at uh, uh, during his appearance at the Diet of Worms about 500 years ago, and we must consider what he was actually pushing back against. Uh, of course, he was pushing back against the inaccurate rending of Scripture, the heretical practices of the Roman Catholic Church at the time, but even more deeply, I believe he was pushing back against the sinful belief that the kingdom of God was not for you and I and the common person of Luther's day but rather was for the religious elite. That is, the Pope, the priests, the Roman Catholic movers and shakers of the day. They had become so convinced that their power and authority was from God. Uh, and as God provided them, that they had, excuse me, uh, 
So and as God had done, as, as God had more or less commissioned them in this task of, of ministering to the church as they saw it, they no longer had the heart, compassion, or love for God's kingdom as modeled by Jesus. Amazingly, Jesus had, had to deal with the sinfulness and wanton disregard of God's authority, which I, I found rather amazing that even during Jesus' time, he, he was still dealing with this, this fallen nature of man. And uh, Satan was very much at work in, in Jesus' time here as well. We should not be surprised at what happened after the ascension uh, when man was left in charge, so to speak. In this passage, Jesus seeks to reorient the disciples in their thinking and draw them back to what is truly important. The kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God, what is it and what it is not? There are numerous passages. There's actually, thanks to eBible, it told me there are 66 New Testament verses specifically that had the kingdom of God in it. So uh, we're just going to visit a few of those this morning. But they all lend to our understanding of the kingdom of God. As defined, it is the government of God where he is sovereign. And as with any kingdom, it has subjects. Since God is the one true, real God, as we learned from our law this morning, uh, and he created all that exists, it is perfectly logical that he is the one ruler, the one sovereign. From the Heidelberg uh, Catechism, uh, it aptly declares his providence as the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs earth, heaven, earth and all creatures so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come. Not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. As for the subjects, all fall under his kingship. Some willingly, some unwillingly. Nevertheless, make no mistake, we are all subject to his authority. So what is the kingdom and what of God and what is it not? It is an absolute monarchy. As declared in Exodus 23... You shall have no other gods before me. It is not subject to finite man. And Job kind of declares his, this state for us uh, in Job 1.21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Another aspect of what the kingdom of heaven is, the kingdom of God is, is it is present and it is future. It has not been fully realized here on earth and has yet to occur to occur in our future, fully occur in our future. And I and I did like the way the Reformation Bible's commentary stated it. It says there is an already and not yet 
to the kingdom. Both aspects must be understood and embraced by Christians. To view the kingdom either as already total, totally realized or totally futuristic is to do violence to the message of the New Testament. We serve a king who has already been enthroned, yet we await his triumphal return in glory when every knee will bow before him. And in the third point of what the kingdom of God is, it is central to the subject of the gospel. In Luke 4, 43, he says, I must preach the good news, the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. Now it's time that we look to the subjects. In today's, in today's scripture, we are told, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Little children, we know when we love them. Uh, um, my uh, best wishes for the mothers of in, our, in our congregation uh, as, they, as they know our children so very well. And I and I actually, I, Hannah has just completed working for uh, the uh, RE2 school system at Walmsley, and and she's been working with the the, the wee folk, and uh, she has uh, shared many stories about the, those little characters, and and uh, there and as many of you know, they're for those of you old enough, art art. Linkletter used to say, uh, just, just remember, kids say the darndest things. <laughs> and uh, he'd have a little segment in his show that where he had, he'd talk to kids. And uh, their character, when it's pure and innocent, it is, is a wonder. Though we know, like, like all mankind, uh, they too need a savior. However, we are drawn to their simple and unwavering faith. It is their faith that can be a rich blessing in our lives. They trust, not always the way we imagine that they would trust, but they know that they are, they, they know that they bring nothing, yet have full confidence in everything that will be provided for them. Children should, and, and, and most do, thankfully, that mom and dad provide all they need. They don't question whether the provision will be made, whether it's food or clothing or shelter or wisdom or guidance. They know it'll be there and trust it is for their benefit. This, and here's what Jesus is directing us to. For us, as these subjects, for us, as these subjects of this kingdom of God, we've been given this mindset model. In today's passage. An example of this trust in his provision and guidance is found in Matthew 21, 28 through 32. When Jesus provides this insight to this mindset. A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. 
And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And when they saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Furthermore, our understanding of the commandments and trust in Scripture. And furthermore, our understanding of the commandments and trust in Scripture, which we are to anchor our lives in, is evidence of our trust and reliance on his provision. We see in Mark 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus said that he answered wisely and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Now, in this passage, Jesus realizes that this scribe still needs to be to be born again. But his childlike faith and trust in God is leading him there. This sort of faith is a challenge for us. We want it. We want it yet. We want it yet realize its difficulty in the complexities, complexities of our adult world. Scripture provides these warnings. And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, after challenging a rich uh, young man, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Twenty five. Uh, excuse me. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But as we, as we can understand, and we know this, uh, this passage to mean that the rich person is no longer relying on God's provision, but is on his own. So who is the kingdom for? It is for us. As we humble, our, humble ourselves and forsake the self-trust, self-provision, and concern for our welfare. None of which adds a day to our lives. Two marvelous examples for us today are found in the Beatitudes. 
Of course, it, it makes here, it makes references to the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven is, is in fact, part of God's kingdom. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's verse 3. And then verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we put our hand to the plow and not looking back, we need to recognize our great spiritual need and depend on our king who has not held anything back from us. We live in his kingdom today. And as we trust and rely on him alone and anticipate his kingdom prepared for us before the foundations of the world for all eternity. Amen.